Welcome to Global Trade Talks, brought to you by Kroll & Mori. Our hosts, Nicole Simonian and Ambassador Robert Holliman, share brief perspectives on key global issues in international trade, current events, business law, and public policy as they impact our lives. Our guest today, Per Gibbs, current president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. Before moving to Amcham in the full-time staff position, he was an investment banker at HSBC. As head of technology and media for Greater China, he served clients like Alibaba, Huawei, and JD.com. Before banking, Kerr worked for technology companies, including Apple, where he led the Hong Kong-based software subsidiary. Kerr has been an active member of Amcham since moving to Shanghai in 2002. In addition to the last three years as president, he served for two years as chairman and four years on the board. He serves on a number of other boards, including the United Way and the Jiaotong University Business School. Kerr first came to China in the mid-1980s as a student, then returned to Shanghai in the 1990s with the Boston Consulting Group. He has an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley, and an undergraduate degree in economics from UCLA. Kerr, we are delighted to have you as our guest today. Welcome. Thanks, Nicole. It's great to be with you. You have a remarkable perspective on China and the region from your current position as president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai to your experience in finance, mergers and acquisitions, business development, internet and technology, among other things. And there's so much we would like to talk about, but let's start first with your current perspective as president of Amcham Shanghai. You began that role in January 2019 um, after previously serving as an elected Amcham board member. You recently announced that you will be leaving your position later this year. We would love for you to share some information on Amcham Shanghai, your priorities there, and what Amcham Shanghai is currently focused on. Sure, happy to do that. Um, Amcham um, has always provided a, a real range of services to our members, um, and 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 the last two years, um, you know, like many organizations, you know, we've had to pivot. Um, because of the global pandemic. So the, the, the range of services has even broadened and we've got ourselves into some really unusual, unusual things um, as we serve our members. And so we've done a lot of things like, uh, like for example, at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, we got ourselves involved in, in setting up an air bridge in order to ship uh, PPE uh, both into and out of China. Um, and uh, so that was a very unusual thing. We had to kind of repurpose a lot of the staff in order to, to do those kinds of things. And then, you know, shutting down companies, um, you know, to, to in lockdown periods and then getting them reopened. So that involved a lot of communication and, uh, and coordination. Um, these days, uh, we're still managing our way through this uh, global pandemic and uh, mobility issues seem to be the, um, the, the most important um, tactical issue to to our member companies as as we try to get um, executives in and out of China. Uh, so we've uh, the American Chamber has found ourselves again in this unusual position of of interfacing with with uh, consular officials managing visa applications and what China calls these PU letters, which are basically you know special invitations to to enter China or to return to China. Um, and that's part of their process of um, how they are um, limiting the number of international travelers that, that, that have the potential to bring uh, var var variants, the virus or variants of virus um, back into China. So, so those are 
a lot of the kinds of things that we're involved in right now. Um, broadly speaking, um, the American Chamber of Commerce is, is fundamentally an, an advocacy organization. Um, we, we are um, in the business of, of promoting strong commercial ties between the United States and China. Um, so in that role, uh, we meet frequently with uh, U.S. government officials as well as Chinese government officials. We like to think of ourselves as a, as a trusted partner in the middle. Um, uh, so we meet with, um, with Chinese government officials at the local level, um, provincial level, municipal level, but we also meet with, with, with people in Beijing and in, in, in Washington, D.C. So we try to keep ourselves um, informed of, of, of the, the trade issues and uh, keep a, um, an active dialogue for communication um, be, between the governments. So that's fundamentally what we do at the chamber. Well, it's been a busy time for sure since you've taken over um, pandemic and as you mentioned trade issues and um, speaking of that, the last several years have seen heightened political and economic tensions as we know between the US and China, as well as with China and other parts of the world, including the European Union. How has this affected the American and indeed foreign business community in Shanghai and China more broadly? It certainly has. Yeah, the 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 political tension. Um, yeah, to, to, to say that it has, is, has impacted the American business community in China would be, would be a huge understatement. Um, I would say it's, it's, it's really the number one issue. In fact, um, according to our survey results, um, uh, the tension itself is, is the thing that um, our executives are most concerned about. So we ask them that question specifically. So it ranks higher than, like, for example, you know, regulatory transparency or or intellectual property issues, or any of those, the tension itself ranked uh, as the number one issue by a lot, um, in, in according to our survey results. And we do a survey of our members every year. We have another one coming out in, in the next several weeks. And uh, we'll be asking that question again, but I'm fairly sure it's, it's, it's gonna continue to land at the top. Um, having said that, you know, has, has the tension itself, you know, caused, you know, large companies to exit the market or, or any, any major shifts in strategy? It, actually, no, um, it, it, it hasn't. It's, it's just made everything more uncomfortable, um, more difficult to navigate. Um, I would say at a tactical level, it's, it, it's made, a, made, things, uh, made it more difficult to recruit and to retain local staff just because people just feel a lot less comfortable um, with the overall situation. Um, some of the, the really scary things that, that have come up as, as, as issues um, actually have not, um, thankfully, have not really come to fruition. And what I'm referring to there is, is these uh, periodic uh, warnings that, that the State Department comes, com comes out with about you know, arbitrary detention, which is, which is just a really scary word. So we do get, get security briefings from, from the consulate um, and, 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 and look, I mean, nobody is comfortable um, with, with the situation there with, with the two Michaels that, uh, that, are, that, are, that are still being detained. One has actually been sentenced. Uh, the other is, 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 is waiting for sentencing. Um, there have also been um, a number of foreign journalists who have been detained. Um, so, so, so that's an uncomfortable situation for sure. And, um, uh, but again, I, I, that hasn't... Um, really led to, 
to 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 specific changes. It's just more um, everyone's on a heightened state of alert, and so and I'm happy to say you know, and just talking about the, the this whole term of of arbitrary detention and. It, you know, we've pushed back on that um, in our conversations with with the U.S. government, and uh, you know, it's it's really setting up a you know a, a, a false sense of what's actually going on. I mean, it, it it sort of gives the impression that you know American executives are wandering around Shanghai and might get grabbed off the street in some black van for for an arbitrary for no reason whatsoever. That is not happening. Um, that that is not happening, and 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 I don't know anybody who is who is particularly concerned about that. What it what it is is a um, and and China is going through this across the board. Is is a more aggressive implementation of regulations, uh, more aggressive inspection and um, requirements uh, around compliance. Uh, so that's what's really going on here. Um, um, you know, yes, we would like, we'd love to have more transparency around around what's going on in some of these high profile cases, like like the two Michaels. But um, but but we think that the term arbitrary detention might might not really be that that helpful. Um, what what is going on is um, it, it is becoming more difficult to navigate. Um, with with the sort of narrowing of space uh, with which to operate, um, if you will. So what I'm referring to there is is you know the the, the U.S. export controls, um, you know narrow the, the space uh, and and make compliance more challenging. We've got we've got sanctions on the U.S. side, and then we've got counter sanctions on the on the Chinese side, and 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 so the the space to navigate is 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 becoming um, more narrow and. Uh, and and the the challenge of of remaining compliant uh, in both countries is um, is is really being been been the challenge there. So, Kurt, following up on 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 that question, uh, observers have also seen a lot of high profile actions that China has taken um, with regard to uh, many kind of household name or ma major Chinese technology and services companies both in China and for their public listings on foreign exchanges, their data practices and more, it's been getting a lot of attention. Do you have any general perspective on how non-Chinese observers should be interpreting what China is doing um, in this space with um, these sort of large Chinese entities? Yes, you're right. It's, it's um, these the household names. Um, um, it's an interesting question. Um, and, and, but first of all, um, you know it's a, it's it's a pleasure to be with you, um, you know, Ambassador Holliman. Uh, I just want to mention for for your audience that that you know you've been very helpful to to the American Chamber of Commerce and our member companies um, over the years. You know, starting from when you were in government, and um, and uh, you were you were very helpful to us in, in helping us understand some of the priorities within the Obama administration. And uh, you know, we've, we've always been very grateful for that and, and glad that, that we've been able to continue our relationship with, with you now that you're in the private sector. So, so, so we appreciate that. But, um, but, but you're right, you know, these, these household names, I mean, when we're talking about Huawei and, 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 and to a lesser degree, TikTok and, and, and WeChat that, that were under attack, you know, under the, under the, under the Trump administration, these are, these are not just household names, but they're, they're really 
um, you know, forgive me for using the term, this is sort of a Chinese term, but the national champions uh, that, 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 that Chinese people are, are understandably proud of. These are highly successful companies within, within the domestic market. Um, uh, and, and people are proud of that. And it's, it's hard to really understand that from the US side because we just don't have that same dynamic. I can't really think of a company or a brand that um, that Americans feel as passionately about as Chinese people feel about about some of their national brands like like Huawei and and some of these others. I mean, we just don't, as Americans, we just don't feel um, the passion for for the success of Exxon Mobil or or Nike, uh, both in, in in domestic markets or in national markets. We just don't see it that way as Americans. I think the the only possible analogy might be, you know, if one of our sports teams, for example, went overseas and, and, and met with some, some odd fate, um, then, or was under attack in some way, then, then maybe Americans might rally behind that particular brand in the same way that Chinese seem to be rallying around, around Huawei. But, but the important point I think is that, is that, yeah, it, it, it has shifted the dynamic, um, and, and, and shifted the way that Chinese people think about America, um, about American power, uh, about American brands. Um, um, so, so it really has changed things. Um, they, they feel under attack. Uh, they feel because they, they don't understand or agree with the, 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 the logic uh, behind what the U.S. government, and not, not getting into the the, why, the hows and wherefores, whether the, the U.S. intelligence community has a has a legitimate case or not, they, the perception in China is is that it's uh, well arbitrary, um, if, if you will. Having said that, um, at this point, um, from a brand point of view. Um, we still have a, 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 an adequate reservoir of, of, of goodwill over in China. Um, the, the, Ameri- the, the Chinese people in general, they, they still have a, a favorable perception towards our brands. Uh, they, they like working for our companies. Uh, they like buying our products. They see them as, as high quality. Um, but I guess that my point is that it, that's not an unlimited reservoir. It, it, it has... Um, started the process of draining, I would say. And it, it has shifted the way that, um, that, that, that people in China think about the United States. And um, I think that's something that, that we need to be mindful of. Um, I think it's especially true of, of the young people that, that have um, uh, a very strong you know, nationalistic um, perspective and uh, that that part has has really changed. It's uh, over my years in China. Uh, put it this way, walking around on the university campuses today as as an American and engaging in conversation, uh, it's a very different situation today than than it was uh, when I first came to China as a student in in, in 1985. Um, in 85, walking around the university campuses, um, there was a huge enthusiasm for interacting with, with Americans. Um, and, and so the dynamic has, has definitely shifted. So, Kirk, China has domestically recently um, adopted a number of measures that impact uh, the control and use of data within China. So this includes everything from the new 
personal information protection law, which actually goes into effect on November 1st, to a more fulsome implementation of China's data security law and, and others. What's your sense about what companies should be doing to understand and comply with these new ex and expanded laws, whether they're foreign companies doing business in China or domestic companies in China or both? Yes, it, it, it's definitely um, imposing a challenge. Um, for, first of all, it, it, you're right, it, it, it is both actually. Um, and in, in these kinds of, of laws and, 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 and implementation, China China's actually being quite, quite careful to, to put these kinds of laws on the books and be very clear that they apply to everyone um, equally, uh, both foreign companies and, and, and domestic companies. Um, now, having said that, there, there, there's a difference in, in what the companies have to do in order to comply, but they are, um, on the, as far as the law is concerned, um, they are applying to, to both differently. And China's being uh, very deliberate about that. And in some cases, um, you know, they're really going out of their way to apply rules equally. Um, and sometimes it's to the detriment of, of, uh, of the foreign companies. What, what, one, one just quick example to, to, to refer to is, is the personal income tax law. Um, and there's a change that's, that's, that's going to be implemented as of January 1st, 2022. And what's, what's going on there is, is um, um, China has in the past uh, treated foreigners uh, a little bit differently in terms of how they, how they implement personal income tax in China and, and given uh, foreigners certain advantages uh, in recognition of the, the fact that there are, there are specific costs that apply to foreigners operating in China that don't apply to local people. For just as an example, um, foreigners uh, cannot send their children to local schools. They're not allowed to. Therefore, the, the only choice we have is to send them to uh, private international schools, which are extremely expensive. So, so therefore, the, China has had um, a unique um, approach to, 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 to applying personal income tax to, to foreigners. That's going to go away. Uh, so, so that's an example of, of we're being equalized, if you will, to, to, to be, be treated exactly like, uh, like local people in terms of personal income tax. It's going to be a huge hit uh, as far as the net income available to, to foreigners. So that's an example of sort of be careful what you hope for. You know, if you, if you, if you want equal treatment, um, we're, we're going to be treated equally <laughs> to, our, to our detriment. Um, so there's those things going on, but specifically on the on the on the the, the personal inf information protection law and, and more broadly the, the data security law and and and, and data localization law, um, this is going to be um, a, a big change for for the way multi, especially the multinationals how they operate. It is going to impose um, certain costs. Um, in terms of replicating the data infrastructure, and that implies replicating a certain amount of the IT infrastructure. Uh, so that's going to be a major cost. It's also going to um, basically take away uh, a lot of the synergies and economies of scale that, that are fundamental to the multinational uh, business model, if you will. So in other words, multinationals, they, they fundamentally want to be able to design, uh, design a product uh, once and 
and then monetize it across multiple markets. That's where the economy of, sales, uh, economy of scale comes from. And um, with the data localization law, they're not going to be able to do those kinds of things. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's going to impose um, a significant cost to, to, to the foreign companies. And, and one of the things that we've, we've pointed out um, to, to the Chinese uh, government officials that, that we've been meeting with, both the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and uh, more, most recently we had a, um, a very productive meeting with, with Ambassador Qin Gang uh, just before he, he, he left Shanghai to, to take up his duties as ambassador, as Chinese ambassador to, to the United States. And he was very forceful with us. He was trying to to really push on the idea that that the United States is is unilaterally um, uh, forcing uh, a decoupling, and that it's entirely the U.S. government that's that's creating the situation, which which we're not in favor of, by the way. I mean, the the foreign business community in, in China um, uh, we're very concerned about about long term decoupling. Um, we're, we're sympathetic with with some of the national security. Concerns, but a full decoupling is 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 not what we're looking for. It's it's not going to be what's best for business, and we don't think it's the right path forward in terms of of a of a of a long term stable relationship between the United States and China. But with Ambassador Chin, um, and we had to push back. You know, we we said, well, wait a minute. You you may be right that 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 especially around some of these technology issues, the United States is is. Um, is is taking measures that that could be seen as decoupling, especially around semiconductors and other technology uh, issues. But they're not the only one. I mean, China, this data localization law. What is that if it's not if it's not decoupling? Um, and and you could go even further, talking about you know the Great Firewall and 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 how um, China has really siloed uh, the World Wide Web from the get go. So what's that if it's if it, if it's not if it's not decoupling? So, so we've pushed um, we've pushed back pretty hard on on that narrative, um, but the but these these new laws um, certainly impose a, a challenge, um, and it it does um, continue to sort of push the two economies apart. Uh, at this point, the multinationals are 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 doing the investments that are required to to comply. Uh, because staying in the market is is so important, um, it's going to be more of a challenge for some of our small and medium enterprise members. Um, they don't have the resources to 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 replicate their 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 IT systems the way some of the larger companies do. So it's going to be an, probably an even larger impact there. So looking now to the U.S. side of this equation. The Biden administration um, has signaled that they have a broad administration-wide review underway of U.S.-China policy that includes trade policy, among others. So while this is underway, the Biden administration has kept in place the tariffs that were initially imposed by the Trump administration on U.S. imports from China. Um, what sort of messages would you like the Biden administration to be taking into account as this broad review is underway, and also particularly as it develops a longer-term U.S.-China policy? Yeah, that's an interesting question uh, about the tariffs, and um, 
And uh, and Robert, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you would actually have a, a lot of insight on this as well, coming from the USTR. And, and I'm curious if you've been back channeling with some of your um, uh, colleagues uh, back in, in that organization. We've had some conversations with them as well, but they're they're keeping uh, fairly tight-lipped about about their plans, especially around the tariffs. Which, um, you're right, as, as as you point out, you know they've kept them in place. The the tariffs specifically, it's interesting. Um, it, it comes up a lot um, with the Chinese um, government, both our, our meetings with uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and 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 uh, um, and also with with Ambassador Chin. They they bring it up, um, which tells us that it, it it it's a pretty significant issue to China. Frankly, we're sort of scratching our heads about that because. Um, well, again, we, we, we don't think that tariffs are, are, we understand why the Trump administration put them in place. They, they felt the need for leverage going into those, those trade negotiations. Um, but tariffs, as you know, are, are always distortionary. And, and so business is, is, is not going to be um, uh, in favor of, of using them as a, as a policy tool. But, but at this point, um, they don't really... Um, impose a significant impediment to, to business. In other words, what we found over the last you know, two, three, four years as the Trump administration imposed these tariffs is there's a big difference between 15% and 25%. In other words, 15% can be fairly easily absorbed. Um, uh, but when you bump that up to 25%, that's when you really see a, a shift in, in, in trade patterns. And right now, the, the, the tariffs, the sort of blended average of tariffs is around 18, 18.5%, which really isn't, uh, isn't that onerous, um, which, as you point out, you know, the, the, the Biden administration is in this review process. And, and so they haven't really shown all their cards in terms of what, how they're going to approach the conversation, especially around economics and trade. So we're still in a sort of getting ready to get ready stage. Um, they have signaled um, some of their priorities, which um, again, back to the positioning of the American Chamber of Commerce and what, what we need to be thinking about. Uh, the Biden administration has been fairly transparent about, um, about, about how they'll approach trade discussions in a broad sense, meaning, um, um, I can't remember who it was that said, you know, our, our, our next trade agreements will, will not really be uh, all about doing what's what's great for for Wall Street. You know, we're not going to be um, doing this just for the for the banks and for the investment banks and investors. It's going to be more about Main Street and and for the American worker. Um, so so that part is clear, and um, and we've taken that on board in terms of how we think about the U.S.-China relationship. Um, we have we have we've long agreed with 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 the administration in terms of the the back to the Trump administration and the Biden administration in the sense that that um, a, a good a good relationship between the U.S. and China has to be underpinned by balance and reciprocity, and this has to benefit the United States in the same way that it has benefited China. That that's correct, and 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 we strongly agree with that. We also think that it, it makes total sense that that the American worker um, really should be front and center in, in terms of how we think about trade policy. So we've been doing a lot of thinking about um, about how um, how our presence in China um, translates into jobs in the United States. 
And it, it's a hard equation to see because it's not really a one for one relationship where we, you know, an extra dollar in revenue in, in, in China translates into, you know, an, an American job. It's really not that simple, but it, but it, but it clearly is true when we talk to our member companies and say, what, you know, your success in China, what does that mean to, to, to your headquarters? Do, and, and it, that part is, it, it is clear that the, there are a large number of jobs in the United States that are supporting uh, the growth in, in business in, in China. Um, but that's, that's something that over the coming years, we're going to have to get better at, um, at identifying that and communicating that so that uh, U.S. government and, and the American people writ large uh, can, can see the overall relationship. They, they, they see beyond just the scary headlines and, um, you know, the, the, you know, the China has done this or they've done that and we don't like it, but, but for them, for people to see it in the larger context of, of, of the benefits of this relationship that do flow back to the United States and do flow back to the American worker. So that's something we're going to have to be, be working, working on a lot over, over time. As we get ready to conclude our discussion, um, can you share a little bit about your personal background, your interest in China, and how this has all come together in the work you're doing and planning to do going forward? Oh, sure, uh, happy to. I, I guess, yeah. The, the the first thing a lot of people ask me is, you know, this this name Kerr, uh, which granted is a bit unusual. You know, where does that come from? It it, it actually comes from my Chinese name. So my mother my mother is from China, and so my um, she named me uh, Kaiwen, G Kaiwen. So that is my my Chinese name, and um, and then we we came up with the name the name Kerr as the English derivation of of the Kai. So 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 that's me. You know, my my father is, is American. My 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 mother is is Chinese, and 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 yeah, that that has very much um, motivated me and, and animated uh, me in my career. Um, and, and it's, it's, it, it's very much part of why I feel so passionately about, about the relationship between the United States and China. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a very personal thing for me. I, I see that, uh, you know, I love both these nations uh, and, uh, and I want us to get along. And uh, right now I'm pretty concerned. It's, uh, we're, 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 headed, um, we're headed in a bad direction and uh, there's gonna have to be some, a lot of work to do um, to, 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 to get that back um, towards, a, towards a more positive place. Um, I am leaving the chamber. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great experience and, and, and very rewarding. It's, uh, um, I've, I've been part of the chamber for, for a long, long time and I, and I, and I don't intend to, to leave completely, but I am stepping down from my position. Um, I haven't really made any decisions uh, going forward in terms of what I'm gonna do next, but um, I expect I'll be, you know, just doing everything I can to be to be helpful in in, in U.S.-China relations. Uh, I will be spending more time in the United States, um, so uh, so stay tuned. Uh, happy to to keep you informed of, of that, Nicole, as uh, as things go forward. Well, thank you, and we definitely look forward to the next chapter and um, collaborating further. And we are just so grateful that you could join us today. We really appreciate all the wonderful work you've done and what you're doing with AmCham Shanghai. Um, our firm, as you know, is a proud um, sponsor and member of the AmCham Shanghai 
um, work we really find to be a true value to all of the American business community in Shanghai and China. Um, and so many thanks for everything you're doing. And we really can see the passion and hear the passion as you talk about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be with you, uh, both you and, and to, to Robert. Uh, so thanks for your time. Great. Thank you, Kirk. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening to Global Trade Talks, brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. You can access more information about our guests today in our show notes or at kroll.com slash global trade talks. You can find all our episodes and subscribe to our series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.